welcome to another Dr. Supercoach podcast. I'm joined this week by Chizo and Chizo, I've got a grey jumper on, really comfortable. Would you like to talk us through why that is this podcast? Absolutely, JB. Uh, the guys at sleeperkeeper.com.au reached out to us recently seeing if we would be interested in partnering up to release some Supercoach-related merch. And right now, JB, you and I are wearing the first iterations of some awesome Supercoach gear that will be coming out soon. Um, JB, we discussed it. We wanted to wait until we got the real thing in our hands before we started talking about it on the podcast. Um, but we needed to have worried, mate, because the final product is absolutely fantastic. High quality, so comfy, mate. Uh, how do you? How much do you love yours? I've, I've gone with the black. You've gone with the grey. Is that right? Yeah, and I heard Pistol actually had some trouble getting his on over his head after <laughs> we talked him up so much last podcast, so we'll have to cut back on the compliments this time around. <laughs> I've actually worn mine every day since I got it. The, this um, this sweat uh, the, the, this sweater is basically uh, perfect for those those crisp 17-degree mornings in Townsville here, JB. It's just been absolutely perfect to get me through my morning coffee. Um, they sold way faster than we expected, so um, there's only limited available. So if you jump over to Sleeper Key, Keeper.com.au and use the promo code SUPERCOACHDOC, all caps, all one word, you'll get 13% off the retail price if you want some Supercoach merch. Uh, I absolutely love it, JB. Really excited to see uh, what we can have ready for the start of the 2018 season. Yeah, really exciting prospect with um, the guys down at Sleeper Keepers. So um, hopefully there's there's more to come on this one, but while you can, go down and grab one of these Supercoach jumpers because... I don't know about you, Chizo, but in Adelaide it gets bloody cold, so I've needed this um, almost every single night when I get home from work, so it's great to have around. Um, we'll get into our week now. How did you actually score for the week, Chizo? Because it was a bit of an up and down one for those um, with with keepers and, and premium scoring, like they've, they're just playing their first game in the park. Look, I talked about it the last few weeks. The Chizo chase down is on here, JB. I've got... <laughs> 2,200 last week, a um, little bit more than that. Pistols had a very, very difficult week captaining uh, Zachy Merritt after not electing to go with uh, the dangerous score of uh, uh, the, the low 100s. And it really, really hurt him. I've made up that over 200 points in one round. I'm only 35, 37 points behind him. The Chizo chase down is on. And I think he's basically muted my conversation on, 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 on Messenger because I'm not hearing back from him. Every time I ask him if he's worried, it's going to be this week that he falls behind there, JB. Yeah, you can tell he's worried because I'm not even sure he has university anymore. I think he's dodging the podcast solely for that reason. So um, I'm not sure you'll actually be able to chase me down. I'm a little bit further ahead. I scored 21.46 on the weekend. I dropped 80 spots. So we are trending in the right direction for a Chizo chase down, but I'm still ranked 357th. So I'm doing all right for my season. I was hoping to finish top 250. I was hoping to finish top 100 for a while there. Um, but injuries strike your PODs down and you're left with no choice. Um, so we're going to jump straight into the round recap this week. And it was a, a round of many firsts, um, first in a long time at least. So um, Hawthorne beat Sydney. That's not really a crazy first because they did that early this year. But more so in that game, Tom Mitchell, the first week that Pistol has acquired him in his team, he scores a sub-ton for the second time this year, first time in a long time. And actually goes sub-30 disposals as well with just the 26. So um, I can't believe I'm calling a 98 a bad game for uh, anyone. But Tom Mitchell had a bad game and still came out with 98. So not too bad, Cheezo. No, it's absolutely horrible. It, 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 I, I've had him for two weeks, and I've bloody jinxed him, haven't I? I've, like, I'll I, I tell you what I've done. I, coming in towards the end of the season, I'll pick up these guys that I've realised I've missed out on. I've picked the Rockcliffs, I've picked the Gazers, when I really just needed to pick the Tom Mitchells and Zachy Merritts. Absolutely right, huh? Wrong. <clears throat> bloody two sub-tons this week. I'm not happy, JB. Absolutely not happy. 26 touches from Tom Mitchell is probably around his ton mark. Let's like be honest. He he doesn't have the greatest efficiency. Uh, he is in and under, shoveling it out. So 26 disposals, about the 100, 105 points. That's probably what we expect because we are seeing him only getting like those 110s, 120s when he's getting 35, 40 touches. So um, I, I guess we can we can expect him to do that. He, they really clamped down on him early. I think he only had like three touches in the in the first quarter there, JB, and he was nowhere to be found. But as you say, uh, Hawthorne find a way to get it done again. They they the, the boogeyman. They're, 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 they're Sydney's boogeyman there, mate. Yeah, it's crazy because um, Tom Mitchell actually, after having a three-possession uh, quarter in the opening quarter, 
ended up having 90 points through three quarters and then only 98 for the game. So his midriff was obviously amazing. Um, the two outskirts, not so good at all. So, and then it ended up costing him a ton, but those who have owned him all season, um, I, I mean, we're not really phased, are we? Um, Nick Newman bounced back with 29 disposals, 93 super coach points, seven marks, four tackles, two free fours. And he looked exactly like the Nick Newman of old. And I'll tell you why this was the most predictable score of the round. And it's because Jake Lloyd was out. So um, if you're still holding on to Nick Newman, I would cash in on this high score. This bit of a... Um, I'm not actually sure if he jumped up in price at all this week. No, he still dropped 13K. So um, his break-even is still 86. I'd take advantage of the fact that he didn't drop more than 13K and I'd still be trading him out because... Whenever Jake Lloyd comes back into that side, he'll um, Nick Newman will drop back into that that strange role where I don't even know what he does. He just floats around the whole entire ground. So, um, would you agree with those sentiments, Chizo? Look, I've got nothing else to add. That's absolutely bang on. Uh, Jake Lloyd will be back in no time flat. Uh, the one person that uh, I want to highlight, he's had an absolutely fantastic game. This is what I kind of expected from maybe round four once he hit his straps, and that's Jared Roughhead, mate. 130 points, 24 touches, eight marks, uh, three tackles, even got some hitouts, two goals, one. It's the roughie of old, mate, running up the ground, running down the ground, basically doing everything. Why couldn't we see this 15 weeks ago, JB? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's safe to say he's on um, almost every single person who started with him and almost every single person that didn't start with him's never again list. So unless you're a Hawthorne fan and you're really backing the big fella to have a big one next year, he'll be priced way over what uh, uh, we know he could obviously produce. Um, he was just he was just inconsistent this year. I mean, he still, when you look back at some of his first scores, he still put up some decent numbers for someone priced so poorly, but... I do agree. Most people that started him expected him to be putting out these, um, these big one thirties from from the bounce, pretty much from from the get go. Yeah, um, another guy that's uh, had, he backed up his score last week, Callum Sinclair, putting up another ninety four. Uh, we are just getting news that Jared Witts will be out for one to two weeks after having a bit of a shoulder injury on the weekend. Callum Sinclair at only four hundred and twenty k looks to be hitting his straps just at the right time, JB. Crazy how he only got this, uh, how he got this 94 off just the one goal. So he's showing that he doesn't actually need to kick multiple goals to um, to score the big ones. I do, however, think it's very, very risky to be looking at someone like Cal Sinclair, um, even with Witsy going down. Um, I assume most people still have Nankivis, uh Sorry, Chizo. <laughs> um, and if they don't, they've. Um, <laughs> I'm going to sound like I'm potting you here. If they don't have Nankivis, hopefully they've been smart enough to get in someone like Paddy Ryder, just in case this did happen. For those that don't have either of those, would you seriously be considering Callum Sinclair, or would you just be looking to? Um, to get in a sure thing, um, maybe trying to trade up to Ryder or um, even even trading in just a pure ruck um, or even just trading out to uh, Witsy altogether. So um, there's a few options. I, I, I think it's something that we'll definitely touch more on the end of the week when we get the team news out and we can actually uh, get a little bit more of an understanding of how many weeks he's going to be and all that kind of thing. Uh, with a subluxation of your shoulder, at this end of the season, depending how bad it is and depending how well he pulls up, um, in the next week or even two weeks. It could even be season-ending, depending how bad it has been. Um, because it, it's only just coming out um, today, it hasn't really been big news. Um, I, I guess a, a lot of the, the Dangerfield news and things like that has kind of would have swamped it anyway. But um, definitely one to keep an eye on. I'm on the field of thought that I would probably be getting... Uh, wits out this uh, I obviously have to get wits out without Nank as you said but uh, I definitely think it, it is one um, that if that one week turns into two weeks then he's definitely got to go this late in the season um, I would probably be looking to try and upgrade him if I could I don't think anyone around his price range is overly fantastic I think you can look at Steph Martin he's a little bit lower but again He's not really shooting the lights out either. He's only averaging around the 95 to 99 since um, Archie Smith has, has really been a key feature in that team. Um, I think I would prefer to go up and see if we could see how well Cruiser bounces back. Again, if we don't, if we get the team news and he's in, he's definitely an option. If we get the team news, he's out. That'll help us a little bit more in our decision-making, but we won't know until the end of the week, JV. Yeah, it's going to be one that um, we'll definitely speak about heavily on the Thursday podcast. Um, we'll move past it and go to the two um, the two Sydney forwards. 
Now, Franklin Vasini has been a heated discussion throughout the whole entire season, um, as when from when Heaney returned to pretty much this week still. Um, they're still priced very, very similarly. Um, Heaney with the 80 points, Franklin with the 65. And I think we can just categorically say now, I don't think either were as good a picks as anyone thought when arguing for one party or the, for the, or, uh, or the other. So um, so it hasn't really been a success story for those who, who went with either of these players. And um, I mean, I might just be speaking for myself here, Cheeso, but I think a lot of people this year, more than any, have been scared away from those key position forwards just because of their inconsistencies like Tom Lynch, um, their injury proneness like, um, like Josh Kennedy, and just their sheer erraticness like uh, Lance Franklin. So... Um, I think it's I think it's a year of learning for everyone, and I don't think Buddy's the the type of player that we should be um, should be first getting into our team like we usually do every year and have done for the last um, five years pretty much. So um, I think it's been a real learning curve for everyone this year. Uh, I.e. key forwards, Cheezo. What do you reckon? I went into the start of this year saying I'm not going to have any key forwards. I'm not going to have any mid price rucks. I ended up going into the season with two key forwards. And two mid-price rucks. So <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if this. If I didn't learn from last year, I'm not going to learn next year. I'm just going to pick the players that I like. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it might end up helping you because the Chizo chase down is definitely on. <laughs> um, and Sydney's midfield were just the epitome of um, disappointment again. Dan Hanbury, 74 off, only 20 disposals, just two tackles, just two marks. He's not doing anything that he really um, effectively used to do. So um, I mean. Hanbury's just fallen off a cliff, and much like JPK, who um, admittedly did spend a lot of, um, well, pretty much the entire third quarter, I think it was, on the bench, he scored fifty off fourteen disposals, which um, I think, I think it's been at least, um, at least a season, maybe two, three, four, bloody five seasons, since Josh B. Kennedy's even gone below the twenty disposal mark. So. Um, like you said earlier, next year I think we have to look a lot, um, a lot in, heavily into age um, more so than um, than what they've shown us in the past. Because as with Buddy, as with JPK, Hanbury, Pendlebury, you can throw a lot of players into this basket. They're just not being very impressive this year. And um, you say you say about the Hawthorne beating Sydney as a sure thing. North Melbourne beat. Melbourne in this next game on our agenda here and Clayton Oliver a man that we all should be looking towards next year 33 disposals 3 marks 12 tackles 2 free fours and a goal if you started the year with him you've got to be flying up in the rankings each week because he's still such a POD and he's such a jet imagine if you pick Clayton Oliver and Josh Kelly in the draft league imagine if you got both of them just be <laughs> You'd be imagine if you were coming up against uh, someone like yourself in the coming weeks here, JB. It'd be a frightening prospect. Look, Clayton Oliver is going to be a fantastic player when he learns how to kick the ball. You know that that one seventy could have easily been a two seventy if he gets his ratio a little bit right. I mean, six kicks and twenty seven handballs. Are you kidding me? Like, he's a fantastic player. Uh, I, I can't. He's obviously going to. I say that in jest. It as the uh, his career goes on, he will be able to even that that out at the moment. Um, he's just racking up so much of the pill, JB. I, I, it's just phenomenal watching play and, and, and realising that he's a, a second-year player. I mean, 12 tackles as well. Like, he literally... He's just a magnet. Like, I, I, I don't know what to say about Clayton Oliver. He's just a fantastic player. Yeah, he is an absolute magnet. And watching the game, if I had have had a scorecard there counting how many points I thought Clayton Oliver would be on... I'd, I'd say it would probably be around the 80 mark. I could not believe he was on 170. But it's just that contested ball magnet tackling um, one percenters, pressure acts, all of, the, all of the sort. He just gets amongst it and he lifts his team as well. Even though they weren't able to win this game, he is just a freak. And um, in his, just, just his second year, he's showing better signs than Bonds and Pelly or, or any of these other young guns that we've seen play their second seasons. Um, and just looks like someone that we, we really have to consider for next season. He's putting out 170s. His ceiling is enormous, and his consistency has been there as well. I think he's only had four sub-tons this year. So, um, I mean, not everyone might like him. He did have a bit of a staging effort earlier on in the year and um, had a God of fan, but this guy looks like he's going to be a jet. And Max Gorn's finally hitting his straps, Chizo, after we got him in 
um, after two really good scores where we thought, yep, Max going back doesn't really, really need much of a, a coming coming in party. He scored 113 and 96. We all got him in. Then he scored 79, 57, and everyone was wondering what the hell they just trusted with. Um, and then he's come back with 108 and 111. So it's good to see Maxi back and someone that will just sit in our R1, R2 position for the rest of the year and accumulate those 100-plus scores. Yeah, absolutely there, JB. But uh, the one thing that you've got to really consider is who he was rucking against. I mean, he was up against Majak Dor and Braden Proust. And the, the one thing that stands out for me is that he had 52 hitouts, but he didn't have a great deal to advantage. So that 111 points is coming from 18 disposals, three marks, three tackles, three, uh, two free kicks, and 52 hitouts, a, a number of which um, either sharked or didn't go to advantage. So um, I, I think that he's definitely going to have better games, but I'm definitely happy with his uh, 111 points that he put up. Yeah, he's showing great signs. And someone else that is showing great signs after a 28 disposal, five mark, three tackle, one goal, one performance. A man that I advised um, the people to get in um, <laughs> I just last realized week. who it is. <laughs> and then I was just shot down, just, just shot down by amateurs. I mean, I'm ranked 357. I've got this man in my team, and you people continue to ignore him like he's a spud or something. Sean Higgins should be everyone's number one trading option, even if you've only got one trade left and you've got... Dangerfield is your worst player. We should be getting in Jordan Higgins. Am I right? Uh, he's playing Collingwood this week, and historically he doesn't play well against them. Oh, come on. It's Collingwood. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'll give him one thing. He's, he's, uh, he's got a very good standard deviation. He's got a, a, a seasonal average of 91, a three-round average of 92, five-round average of 90. Look, you can basically back him in for 90, which is better than we can hope for with the likes of Franklin's and the, the Tommy Lynch's of this uh, day and age here. JB. Well, that's a compliment and it's pro Higgins, so I'm going to accept it. <laughs> um, next man on my list is Michael Hibbert. He scored 81, but 27 disposals, nine marks. He just sort of um, tapered away in that last quarter when North Melbourne really took over. So um, not that bad from Hibbert, uh, someone that I expect to bounce back well next week. And that pretty much does it. What a what a sour game. There's there weren't many um, big guns in this one. Actually, speaking of big guns, two big forwards, both scored 37, both got injured. Jared Waite did his calf and um, Jesse Hogan broken collarbone, I believe it is. So um, two big forwards that if you have them in your draft leagues, um, the both of them expected to miss some time. Jesse Hogan, significant time. I don't think he's expected back this season. So not great news for Hogan, who was just able to get himself back on the park. Yeah, with those collarbones, I, I, I don't really expect him to be back this season, uh, particularly because um, I don't see Melbourne going deep into final. So it'll only be like a, a, a semi, a, a prelim or a grand final if they brought him straight back. Um, with your, clav, your clavicle, you can uh, quite easily play it. A lot of people elect not to. Uh, because, it, uh, because he's a, an elite AFL player, they'll definitely go in there and play it straight away. But... Yeah, it can be a very, very tricky one to come back from because you really don't get your range of motion and your power through your shoulder and your chest until it's such a fragile area. So um, I really don't think that Jesse Hogan's going to be coming back anytime soon, JB. Yeah, not surprising news at all there. Um, we'll jump into the next game. It was GWS versus Luke Ryan. So Luke Ryan put up 19 kicks, six handles for 25 disposals, 14 marks, six tackles, three free fours, zero frees against. Didn't even have to hit the scoreboard to get his big 136. And if you're able to get him on the field for a Jakey Lloyd, you were just smiling and couldn't stop. Uh, That was a crazy game by Luke Ryan and outscored anyone else on the pitch. Look, it was very nice for me having a nice uh, 136 on my bench. I really, really enjoyed that <laughs> over having Heath Shaw's 55. Um, so it, it, it is something that, you know, I'd like to have my bench players just kind of build their way up, get their confidence back. Um, whereas the person I was, the, the opponent that I was playing in, uh, in my, uh, my main cash league obviously had Jake Lloyd out. I'm thinking, fantastic, I'm going to get a win here. And then he gets Luke Ryan come onto the field, JB. So you can imagine... How I sympathise with that afterwards. Yeah, not not great for everyone, I guess. <laughs> but my man, Nat Five, you tried to, as much as we get into Higgins about it, you were calling it Fife's Fortnight, mate. He's back. 31 touches, six marks, five tackles, two goals. 
the kid's a jet, mate. Like you, you, at this point, you've got to admit that if you don't have him, he's going to be a fantastic player coming into your finals with Supercoach, bud. How many times can Nat Five come back? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is all right. So this is the second or, or third time that he's come back from his um his poor scoring. I don't know if we can trust Fife to trade him in, but if I was an owner of Fife, I wouldn't be too concerned. He's scoring 90s at worst case scenario, and he's whipping up his 130 pluses when he wants to as well. So um, he did look amazing that game, and he played the full four quarters. So um, only went missing for a little bit in the third, which is where he's really tapered off from where he was um, a couple of years ago. So um, I wouldn't be going with Fife is back. I wouldn't be trusting the man with my captaincy, but I would definitely what? be smiling up at the opportunity at getting a premium over all those who traded him out already. Mate, five is life. Five round average <laughs> of 115, three round average of 117, and that includes his 93, and you think, oh, he's back to his old ways. How good has Daniel Howe from Hawthorne been tagging lately? He restricted uh, five to 23 touches and five tackles. He got that hard tag. He got sat on by Daniel Howe, and he still came out with a 93. I'd like to see Rory Sloan do that. I'd like to see Joel Selwood do that. You know, like, uh, I, I love this bloke, and I think he is back, and I'd have absolutely no hesitation, uh, particularly this week when we're lacking danger, to be chucking a VC or a C option on him because I'm, I'm confident, JB. I know, I know he's back. He, he, my boy's back. Yeah, so locking Neil. <laughs> <laughs> 30 disposals, 6 marks, 3 tackles, 4 frees, 4. Had a very all-around game. Didn't hit the scoreboard like he usually does and still put out the 117 in an L performance as well, even though it was pretty much a win for Freo fans getting that close to GWS. Um, so looking at 117, looking um, just obviously as one of those consistent players we'll be considering next year over the likes of the aging players we spoke about earlier. And then we have to scroll down quite a bit to see Josh Kelly's 106 um, just scraped through for the the ton himself, uh, 27 disposals. And the thing I noticed the most about Kelly is he's not a tackling machine. So um, he saves himself by hitting the scoreboard most weeks, but he really needs to incorporate that tackling into his game before he starts hitting those 120 pluses, Chizu. Look, we've always known that Kelly's been a classy outside player. I think it really helped him having Coniglio back last week. Um, being that kind of a, a, an inside contested ball winner, it allowed him to be a little bit more outside, use his foot skills a little bit better. Um, and I think that, that he's only going to gel a little bit better um, as uh, Coniglio gets his uh, his game running up a, a little bit better. But uh, the thing with Josh Kelly is he's one of those guys that uses the ball so effectively. He's got such elite disposal that he doesn't need these Tom Mitchell 35 possession games to absolutely tear you apart and as you said he is a goal kicking midfield is very attacking and um, it's, we always see him hitting the, hitting the scoreboard so um, even with those low tackle counts obviously you'd, you'd like him to have a little bit higher contested possession than probably what he does have and uh, putting those tackles on but his silky skills is just even if he is just staying as an outside player now they've got that that extra midfielder in um, Cornelio i would absolutely have no dramas if I still had Josh Kelly. Yeah, you can already tell that he's a class above the rest when he's out there, can't you? Even at such a young age. Um, someone that's on the other side of the spectrum uh, when considering age is Heath Shaw. 16 disposals, 13 of them kicks in a classic uh, Shaw style. He had three marks, two tackles, a behind, funnily enough. Just the 55 Supercoach points, Chizo. Have you had enough? If you had three or more trades, and that's not that many... Would you be seriously getting rid of this this person from your team? Now that we're entering finals, elimination finals, every point counts. I don't think Shaw can be trusted. No, he definitely can't be trusted. I think we know that by now. Like uh, Five round average of 82, that's probably pumping him up with a couple 90s in there. But he's just, he's fallen off a cliff. There, there was a few people that were picking between Heath Shaw and Sam Doherty at the start of the year. You'd be absolutely kicking yourself if you'd held on to him this long, like it is just as a chasm in between what he was uh, even two years ago when he was absolutely cutting it up to what he is now. Um, I think the way that 
GWS play the game has changed a little bit. They don't use him as that definite option outside of the back line. They've got more options that they can give the ball to. They don't rely on him so much. They probably rely on him to be a little bit more of a leader, a very vocal in the back line, keep the structures in place. But it's not like um, they have that uh, automatic get the ball to Heath Shaw to get it out of the back line that we probably saw a couple of years ago, JB. And I don't see him ever picking up to be where he was. So to answer your question, I think if you did have some trades left over, I would be probably moving Heath Shaw on. Absolutely. Yeah, as and I think it's gotten to the point where if you're in an elimination final, you've got three trades left, then, I mean, what are you waiting for? You're in an elimination final. You're not going to improve your team next week when you're knocked out, so it's time to really put these trades um, into play now, unless you're guaranteed a win, which, I mean, is very rare in this uh, in this game that we are in. Um, now, another player that we need to talk about, um, which was a very unfortunate uh, circumstance from the weekend's game, it's Connor Blakely. So he went off with negative uh, one um, after popping that shoulder out. And then they couldn't get it back in on the bench, had to take him down the rooms um, before they did get it back in, strapped it. He came back out at half time, which was a miracle in itself, ran around like an armless chicken um, <laughs> and got two handballs and a tackle and then popped the shoulder back out. So um, ended up getting from negative one up to seven. If you traded him in as a POD, which, I mean, you had every reason to considering his form and what we what we could see his form hitting, um, you'd be so disappointed, but it's just super coach, isn't it? Yeah, you know what I want to know? I want to know where their medical team got their medical licenses. They get them out of Kellogg's cereal box. <laughs> when, when when you suffer such a significant dislocation like that, you can get all sorts of complications. You can get all sort of slap tears, labral tears. You can even chip bits off your actual glenohumeral joint itself. Where your, your shoulder, I've said time again, is one of the, basically the the most unstable joint in the body. He had an a complicated dislocation that they weren't able to relocate on the ground. Why he's 20, 21 years old. Why? I don't... I'm more confused about this as I am to why Dangerfield got suspended. But we'll talk about this <laughs> a little bit later on there, JB. It's absolutely shocking for the bloke. I hope that these off-season off surgery really... Uh, he, he's back in time for pre-season because this guy could be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and just quickly, yes or no, we have to trade, don't we? Look, if you have him, there's absolutely no point keeping him. He's gone. Like... That when you pop a shoulder out like that, he would have had an MRI to start the week to see exactly what he's done. And um, until we get to the the end of the week and the proper injury report gets uh, gets released, um, we can only assume the worst because that was that was shocking. That that was a horrible one. They're they're the ones that you you just are so innocuous, like you just just fall over with an outstretched arm, and then all of a sudden you basically your humerus is dislocated and you've got nothing to do. So um, yeah, poor bloke. And I hope that it definitely. Um, it, they they put it on the right right course and they can actually treat it correctly and and uh, look out for his best interests. Yeah, very unlucky for the young gun. Um, we're going to jump over to the next game. It was Port Adelaide versus St Kilda, and we're going to fly through this one pretty quickly. Seb Ross is a POD, getting thirty one disposals, six tackles. You'd be stoked with that if you owned him, one hundred and thirty two points. So, um, he's been an awesome point of difference for those who traded him in. Um, Patrick Ryder. Um, I suggested to some to get him in over uh, for Nankivis, sorry, uh, a few weeks ago as a bit of a sideways when their prices were very similar. Um, the Nank decline was there. Um, but, I mean, I didn't follow my own advice, so I, <laughs> I, mean, I can't really blame anyone else for not following it. But he's been very, very good in the last month. Robbie Gray did as we predicted and went into the midfield, scored a 112. Not really aided by the fact that he kicked the game winning goal. I think he only got 10 or 15 points for it. So he had already cracked a ton um, by the time he'd kicked that goal. So uh, I'm not sure if that's a, a stuff up or if we just haven't seen too many more. Well, we won't see too many more inflations in scores by kicking uh, such a game winner, but more the, the plays that lead up to it. Because I'm pretty sure Ryder got a fair chunk um, of his 130, uh, well, just the 30 added on. Um, uh, in, in I mean, 15 or 20 points just for that tap, I believe. So um, maybe it's not the, just the finishing, maybe it's the lead-up play um, more so. Other than them, there isn't a whole lot going on in this game. I don't know about you, Chizo, but the only Port Adelaide player that I've owned this year 
um, is Sam Palpepper until last week in which I traded in EBIT. Um, he did get 75 in the end, but one of his worst scores for the uh, year. Hopefully he bounces back. I do want to talk a bit about Dylan Robertson, though. 24 disposals, which is great. Four marks. Um, he was very, very good against my squad, and he scored 82 points. Um, he hasn't been hitting those big tons like he started the year at. Is that just the role change coming into effect, or is Robertson hitting hitting his tank for the season? Or I mean, what what is happening with Dylan? Well, let's just think about what kind of player he is and what kind of role he plays. At the moment, he's playing that third tour when they need him, and he's that efficient get-out-of-jail-free card when they use the switch. He's not the number one option out of the back line, particularly with Shane Savage playing so well right now. He is um, not getting as much of that outside that outside ball when they switch and get it out. So that's the first thing. You think about the conditions. It was sloppy. It was uh, probably... They, the disposal efficiency was probably one of the lowest of all games you had to watch. It, it was horrible. Like not not just uh, not making excuses for the climate or anything like that. There were just turnovers that made no sense. Decisions that were all over the place. It just wasn't a game where you had to be super efficient, and you were going to be super efficient, and that's where your score was going to come from. Playing at Eddie Had Stadium and a lot like that under the roof. That's where Dylan Robinson gets a lot of those scores because he is an efficient player. And he is that get-out kick across that switch. So particularly when you've got that weather, you've got the that type of game style, and he's having to play a little bit taller than he probably wants to. Uh, when you've got the likes of Westoff, um, you've got Trengrove, you've got Dixon down there, he's probably not going to get that freedom that we probably expected. Um, I think this is something that we touched on a little bit earlier when Gilbert went, uh, went out. He is going to have to slightly change that. Um, but... From the 20-odd the, the disposals that he got, 82 is probably around the mark that I expected. Um, I really don't see him pushing up to a 9,500 average um, or even you know the ridiculous 1-5 he averaged over like the, last, uh, the first 10 rounds of the year. I don't think we're going to see that again, particularly because the games that St. Kilda play at Eddie had over the last uh, four weeks, so I think it's only one game that they actually play there, JB. Yeah, they do have a bit of a tough run home, and I think you pretty much nailed. He's the first person in that back line to go into a tall defending role if they need it, With the um, depending on their opposition, obviously. And Port do go very tall up front um, as often as they can, to be honest. So um, I think you've nailed it. 82 is still a good score from a tall defender, though, and considering his ceiling and what he can get, um, I don't think it's anything to stress about if you had him in any format of the game. Next game, it was Richmond beating um, Gold Coast by quite a margin in the end, 33 points. Dustin Martin, or should we say future Brownlow medalist Dustin Martin, put together 34 disposals, 5 marks, and a goal. He is up to about 600k now. He scored 142 this game. If you were for some reason trading out any player, um, maybe you've got a, a strange injury in that midfield, Maybe you've held a player like Gary Ablett and he's out again um, this coming week or, or something along those lines. Dustin Martin has to be your only target in that midfield. Absolutely, JB. He, he hit the nail on the head. He's just been supreme this year. Like I, I Considering that he, he played a pretty much the same role last year and uh, we saw, saw some of that growth... Knew he was just going to be a mid-only this year. He wasn't really going to be the next star of the... He wasn't going to be challenging uh, Paddy to, to be crowned the best player in the competition. Um, that was from my perspective. I didn't really see him finding another level. But, man, has he really found that next step. That that next step, that I, I didn't know that Dusty Martin had existed. I thought he was just a flashy, um, just get so much of the ball, but half of his disposals he gets turned over. But... 135 over his last three, 120 off his last five, averaging 118 for the year. If you don't have him, then you've really, really missed the boat. And uh, I was able to jump on him early, but Dusty, he's just a gun, JB. Yeah, and I mean, that's pretty much all you need to say. Dusty is just a gun and it will be for many, many years to come. You could see from his first couple of seasons that he was lacking that run, that he, he... was known as the first half specialist, 80 points in the first half and finishing the game with 86. And he he's just worked and worked and worked on that tank. He's playing pretty much exclusively midfield with um, little flashes up forward. And, oh, my Lord, he's going to be stuck in our midfields for years and years to come. I can guarantee that. Um, Tom Lynch bounced back with 15 disposals, three goals, 113 super coach. So a good game 
from him. Um, there's not a whole lot going on in this game, except the man that we spoke about earlier, Jared Witts, 82. So he's been so consistent for us this year, but now set to miss this week, certainly, um, potentially next week. Um, as we spoke about earlier, we will talk about that later. A man that he was up against, um, well, unfortunately, duo of men, um, Soldo, obviously being the, the main killer for Nankovic uh, late in the season, scored 66 off 11 disposals. He was able to bag three goals. I think that's the thing that surprised me the most, but then only 10 hitouts. Chizo, he almost had more goals than hitouts. That shows what sort of role he's playing. <laughs> it's not even he's, close. <laughs> three three goals to 10 hitouts, that's that's close enough, all right? He's a ruckman. It shouldn't be that sort of discrepancy. Oh, God. <laughs> Every all right. Well, put as many <laughs> look, look the thing is, we did talk about it on the pod last week that they are freshening Nank up. I don't see that Ivan Soldo is going to be playing in AFL finals. It may affect our Supercoach finals, but Soldo is not going to be there for the rest of the season. So Nank will be getting that time back in the centre. Um, he's obviously we mentioned it last week. He he's played half forward in every other league that he's played. He was when he played Nifl, um, when he played back in Tassie. He was that he was also a half forward that spent time in the ruck he wasn't a ruckman that went forward it was the other way around so he does have that now around goal you could see him um, obviously at 210 centimetres it's a little bit hard to reach down to your feet and you occasionally have to kick it off the ground but he does have good now around the goals he's pretty good below his knees um, it's not surprising that he kicked three depending uh, particularly because of the supply that he was getting from Richmond uh, as you say when you have Dusty going crazy in the midfield so um, if he does play forward he will be able to to get goals, but it's not translating into super coach points for him because as we've seen with even our best key forwards, you're looking at the Franklins, you're looking at the Tom Lynch's that are only averaging 90 for the year and even less, we're not going to see those type of fantastic scores from Nank until he plays back in the midfield and plays in the ruck as a number one ruck. So as long as Soldo's there, I would I would be trying to get off him if I could. Yeah, and unfortunately with Jared Witts going down, he it's going to be a lot harder to get off him considering most people will need him for that cover. Um, we'll jump into the next game. It was Geelong versus Carlton. If I told you about a Geelong cat who had 27 disposals, 12 marks, 6 goals, you'd be thinking of danger a few weeks ago. 192 supercoach points. It was Tom Hawkins. Where did this performance come from? Sometimes they just have one out of the box. Like uh, Hawkins has actually been playing uh, playing really well the last five rounds. Probably one of the best key forwards to pick in the last five rounds of the season. Um, averaging 99 across his last three, obviously pumped up by his 192, 93 across his last five. He just had one of those games that you just you know you you dream about. You have the that 12 year old kid. You just dream about having that one game where you just tear it apart and just absolutely the focal point and everyone carries you off the ground. He basically had that game and and. Uh, it, they're few and far between, so I hope he too really took that in after the game. Yeah, definitely. Not a whole lot of super coach relevance unless you've got him as a crazy POD or you needed a win in your um, in your draft leagues. Now, this next man, Mitch Duncan, 118 points, four, 20, 28 disposals, if I can count properly. One goal. This guy has a lot of class to him and a man that we spoke about as a good trading option a lot last week. When talking about points of difference, 118 Supercoach points, he's going to storm home. And he was the highest scoring um, Geelong midfielder, I mean, bar Sam Minigol. I mean, I'm talking the, the big heavy hitters in Dangerfield and Selwood. So um, really coming into his own Mitch Duncan. And without Dangerfield next week, he's going to have to have another blinder. I'd be really excited owning him. Um, speaking of Dangerfield, the 23 disposals, two goals, 108 um, was just enough for Dangerfield. A really, really poor game in comparison to how he's been tracking along in the last two months. But um, he hurt us more with the, the news that we'll, we'll speak about later on. Um, Sam Doherty, 29 disposals, 102 supercoach points. So, um, I mean, there's not much more that we can say about Doherty that hasn't already been said. He's the um, the model of consistency. And then we scroll all the way down here, Chizo, and um, you can stop me at any time. Joel Selwood, 65 points. He gave away four frees and only received one, which is uh, unselled-esque. Only 23 disposals, did not hit the scoreboard, um, didn't even lay a tackle, Chizo. What is going on? He got sat on. Sam Carriage. Um, rumor says that Sam Carriage actually has a negative body fat percentage, um, so if it, so that's that's something I'm really interested. In. I hope I meet him one day. I just I just want to know how he achieved that, what his dietary plan he went with. Uh, but he it's obviously 
taggers have come back in vogue this year, JB. We're seeing pretty much uh, half the teams in the competition have a guy that, you know, every probably three out of four weeks he runs with someone. We're seeing Daniel Howe. Uh, now Sam Kerridge has done a few tagging jobs the last few weeks. It's it's one of the reasons why that uh, Carlton brought him back into the team because he, does, he doesn't have the greatest disposal efficiency. Boy, he goes after the ball. But now that they've given him another role that actually helps out and frees up their midfielders, um, you take out... Um, you, you take out uh, the captain of, uh, of uh, Geelong, you'd think you'd be a little bit more competitive, but just the class across the game, um, Geelong was just a little bit too good. Um, JB, I do just want to ask you something. I'm just bringing up Paddy Dangerfield's heat maps. 60% in the forward half, and his hot zone is on literally on the 50-metre mark on the left forward flank. We've been joking about it all year. He's been spending some time in the, in the forward line. We think, oh, wouldn't it be great if he's a mid-forward? I'm legit thinking, I, like, after seeing his game on the weekend, I've, I've, I don't see how he won't be a mid-forward. I know, I, know, <laughs> I know that champion data are always just like, oh, it's all about the numbers. If it's, uh, the, the mark is, if he spends 35% in a specific um, area... Or more, you get that DPP. So that's how you don't get the three, the the the, the triple position player because you know three times thirty five doesn't go into one hundred percent. So that's how it works out. I have a feeling he's probably spending a lot more time than we probably expect. I don't know whether he's going to get to that percentage point, uh, percentage point, but I think he's going to be close here, JB. No, I mean I'd love for that to happen. He'd be first picked in everyone's side. Um, no matter what the price tag, you could price him at a million and you'd just be forced to pick him. Um, but I don't think... Um, it's it's less about where they get their possessions, more about where they line up at the, the bounce of the footy. So um, if you watch Geelong uh, in any game, almost bar the one that he was injured in um, <clears throat> and he spent a lot of time up forward for, he, he's in every single one of their centre bounces bar maybe three or four. And I'd say two of them is on the bench. So, um, I mean, as much as I'd love him to get forward forward line uh, status next year, like it was it was great when he was at the Crows and he had forward status, um, I just don't see it being a huge possibility. I was keeping an eye on him when I went to watch the Geelong and Essendon game and he spent well more than 35% in the forward line. And in <laughs> fact, I'm looking, at his, I'm looking at his heat map from the weekend. He had eight disposals in the back half. Not that not not in the centre or the back fifty had eight disposals from the midline backwards. He had well, that's one, thirty percent of his four, touches. Five. He had six possessions up until the forward fifty. Like he he's had. I, I, I honestly, if if he, I'm not saying he will get it, JB, but if he does, I will not be surprised whatsoever. And and there's a lot of people joking about it, but I think it's. A, I actually legitimately think it's a chance. Well, fingers crossed. Um, a man that should be getting it after the weekend's performance, five shots on goals. We were talking about the Bulldogs-Essendon game. It's Bontempelli, so 23 disposals, a huge final half. I think he got 40 points in the last five or six minutes there, um, just being involved in everything, score assists, goals, um, was just everywhere on the ground and sing- almost single-handedly brought Bulldogs to that, that big margin in the end. Um, 123, great to see for Bond owners. Those who traded in Hurley as the premier defensive option um, were just, I mean, blatantly correct. He's an absolute machine. 118 off 30 disposals coming off full back. So um, you talk about Heath Shaw trying to get uh, targeted in the back 50. Essendon are targeting their full back. So it just speaks to Hurley um, how good he is with his possessions. And um, I'll get you to run through this a little bit here, Chizo. Um, what happened with your boy... Zach Merritt. Uh, they spent some time on him. They is very Bulldogs very don't tag. They didn't put a hard tag on him, but they put it. Uh, Tom Liberatore was sent to him. I think if you if you watch the watch the yep. game, Tom Liberatore was using like he's a hard nut. He tackles. He's got that contested possession. He's got a like, ridiculous contested percentage. He spent some time on Zach Merritt, and we've talked about this, that Zach Merritt needs to increase the percentage of contested possessions that he has. He spends a lot of time getting the ball on the outside, a lot of of time getting the ball dished to him, and then he kicking up the ground. So when he gets that, um, he can't just sit on the outside of a pack with someone uh, so hot on his tail, because once he gets the ball, he's gone, and once he gets it, he's under so much pressure that if he does dispose of it, he can't use his kicking skills. um, That... 
when when he's uh, he's out on his own, he's got elite elite foot skills. But when he's under even that little bit of pressure, he really seems to crack under it. And you send a guy like Tom Liberatore to him, and there's just nothing that he, at his current stage of his career, is able to deal with. And even with 20, 23 disposals, he comes out with 68, um, super co- uh, 67 supercoach points. So I think that speaks wonders for uh, the pressure that they applied to uh, probably what the dogs deemed as our, uh, or Essendon's um, most important player right now. Yeah, and I think they were correct. And I also think their game plan was um, was spot on for where to stop your um, the majority of your clean ball movement out of the midfield. So um, he's definitely the player that I'd sit on uh, from your team, and I think they, they really nailed it, um, unfortunately, for your side. So Dalhouse had 72 supercoach points, 23 disposals. Someone that's really trying hard to get that forward, um, forward positioning next year. He's been spending a lot of time in this latter half of the season up forward. Jack McRae had 25 disposals and scored the ton, which is just standard from him. Johannesson, um, 18 disposals, four goals. So something you wouldn't expect to see on your um your score sheet there. Four goals from Big JJ. They definitely didn't sit on him. So um, that's what he can do when he's not tagged. Let's just see how often that is. We're going to jump into um, what a lot of people were saying was game of the round. It was Collingwood up by 51 points, then choking it to Crows, then scoring three more goals, and then choking that as well. And it all came down to Mitch McGovern on the siren, taking that big mark. And um, I might add, actually, uh, Chizo, to my earlier statement about goals on the siren not being worth a whole lot. Um, I'll go one step further here for Mitch McGovern. Four goals in the second half, including the game winner and a big contested mark to cap it all off. Only 60 points. Yeah, Champion Data have come out in the last few years and um, given a little bit of feedback on what they're doing with their scaling system. Um, I think we're all... It took us about probably 10, 15 rounds for us this year to realise that the scaling system isn't the same. 2017 is a completely different beast, even to 2016, and especially to the years before that, where they actually used to have a multiplier. Um, back in the day, um, when you'd kick the, the winning goal after the siren, you would get a four times multiplier on all the points that you got in that score. So that that was one of the things they got with the scanning. That's where you saw guys going from um, having 80 points to finishing on 160 from winning. And it just didn't... Um, it didn't really uh, show an appreciation for actually how much they impacted the entire game because um, one goal or one missed goal doesn't actually, um, over the course of 120 minutes, isn't that important. So they have come out, and I think last year they dropped it down to only two times multiplier. And they haven't, uh, I haven't picked up any news on whether they've uh, changed that again this year, but. Uh, from what we're seeing, we're definitely seeing the scaling acting very different to what it has been. Um, but obviously not being on the inner circle, we can't give you any more information on that one. But I totally agree with what you say there, JB. The amount of impact he had in the second half uh, was probably equal to 60 points, let alone over the course of the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a bit, of a bit of a strange one. A lot of people were saying in the comments, but... Um, what you said there explains a lot. So they have um, obviously changed that scaling system. Um, just a few important scores. Adams 144 was great to see with no penalties um, in there hogging all the disposals. It was adamant that uh, apparent, sorry, that Trelaw wasn't hogging any disposals either with just the 86 supercoach points. Oh, did Trelaw play, did he? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> see him. He was up and down for the game. He'd have a good period where he'd score 20 points in 10 minutes and I'd be like, yep, we're on here. Big ton for Trelaw. And then he'd disappear for 10, 15 minutes. So um, real Houdini stuff from Trelaw there. <laughs> um, Scharenberg, 86. So if you had either um, Luke Ryan or Scharenberg as bench cover this week, you were you were laughing because both of them put out above average scores for, I mean, well, them. Um, Rory Laird, just the 85. Matt Crouch, a man that we spoke about. Another POD that, that we spoke about. They're all hitting... Um, I wish I had a team of PODs instead of a, a team of um, <laughs> of players that everyone owns this year, I'll tell you right now. Um, because one of those players that everyone owns is Rory Sloan. So I had to scroll all the way down to the bottom, um, and he was six points worse than Luke Brown or Wayne Malira. So they were the next two worst. Rory Sloan, 16 disposals, one mark, three tackles, one free four, two against, did not hit the scoreboard, did not impact the game, um, did not actually do anything um apparently did not show up to the ground um he ran through the banner i can confirm that i think that's where his 36 points came from 
Um, but otherwise, just absolute goose egg from Rory Sloan. And after his great week last week, I do know a, a man or two that was uh, captaining him. Well, we talked about it last week, didn't we? We said that um, for a number of weeks, every 107, uh, I'll just read through a couple of numbers, 119, uh, 177, and then uh, Geelong realised that they needed to put the tag on him. So they sent Selwood to him. This is before Selwood had inju- injured himself. Um, and this is after he had an absolute hot start and people realised that, you know, we need to send someone to this guy. So he's come off 177. He plays against Geelong for 89. So we go through a number of weeks where he gets tagged. He gets really, really hard tagged. Uh, we have teams that even had used two taggers. They swap over every few minutes. So he was getting sat on big time. And so then they played Geelong. And they played at home, and Geelong said, look, we're going to go head-to-head, and we're going to try and beat you at their own game. And the truth is that they sent Scooter uh, to him for parts of the first quarter and parts of the second quarter, and he just blew him away. Selwood, uh, Scooter didn't have the, the run on his legs because he had been missing those games. Tore him apart, 169. So what does Collingwood do? They go, look, we're going to learn from this. And just as we said... Levi Greenwood went and sat on him and just destroyed him. And he's one of the best taggers going around um, in the AFL right now because he does hurt you both ways uh, a lot of the time as well. So um, it, it's, it's, it's quite often that you, you, you see Levi just running around with him. When they go to the bench, he goes to the bench. When he comes back on, he goes back on. And, you know, it, it, it seems to be something that Rory Sloan suffers with. And to be the worst player on the ground and to be your number one player in your team... It, how they still won, I've got absolutely no idea. I, I think you summed it up perfectly when you said it on the weekend. Collingwood is the only team that can choke twice in a game. <laughs> um, they didn't win. They did get the draw, but I'd say it was a win from the position they were in. Um, and yeah, you're right. I, I mean, Matt Crouch has taken over as their best player at the moment. He scored, obviously, the 120 and... Um, I mean, no one's looking to tag him, but I don't even think he's taggable. He's such an inside midfielder, such a gun at getting the contested ball um, and also providing a little bit of run on the outside. I, I mean, Sloan, unfortunately, might have to sit with this tag until Crows start beating teams like Collingwood and um, I mean, other teams that they've fallen to, which they probably shouldn't have. Um, we'll jump into the last game of the round here, and um, I was successful with my Beams prediction early on, but you, he could definitely still get injured. Um, there's still a few weeks to go yet. He scored 121. Um, if you had the third string of the um, the defenders uh, that had that were eligible for bench cover, um, Witherden scored 103. So, I mean, our bench cover was probably better than half of our on-field options this week. Um, Stefan Martin, just the 96 without Archie, um, probably a win for those who own him. Yo scored just the 80 points, um, not bad. I mean, I can take 80s in my forward line. And then we scroll all the way down to the list um, to a man who was not tagging, but still just scored 66, Chizo. He's done. It, it, the, the, uh, you know what, I, we, we've talked about this before, that when players have their future up in the air, they get distracted. And we've seen it with so many players and it's circling over Tom Rockliffe's head about whether he's going to stay in Brisbane, whether his family and he are going to move somewhere else. I secretly still think that he is frustrated that he lost the captaincy. I think he's a very proud player and he's been so well liked that I think you can kind of see it that he really, really just doesn't seem to be present on the ground when he's playing. And for a fully fit Tom Rockliffe, that really wants to win, really wants to go after the ball, really wants to do well, gets 18 possessions in a quarter. Like, uh, there's something going on here, and I'll attribute it to something that's um, uh, something more mental than physical. I know he's got that shoulder element, but even with one arm, he'd still go in there and get 18 in the quarter. So uh, I I went Rockliffe to Zachary Merritt last week, and I thought that was going to be a good move, and I think I made like one point out of it or something ridiculous like that, or maybe even no points. But um, at at the end of the day, Tom Rockliffe, 2017, he's done. That's it. Yeah, and I mean, with the whole captaincy thing, he did start the season so well. So it is it is a theory um, that will be debated, I'd say. Um, I, I mean, with the future thing as well, I suppose he's come under the microscope a lot more lately. Um, and I think other his shoulders just stuffed him for the year, um, considering they Brisbane quite obviously have the worst medical staff in the history of world sports. 
um, sending players like Beams back a week after a week out um, when he had like a four-week injury. Same with Rockcliffe. Um, same with well, any, all of their players that cop any sort of injury. So um, it become it gets to a point where they're not just being tough nuts anymore, but maybe maybe they need to be rested more and really just told told to do it rather than instructed um, or advised to do it. So um, I think it's Rockcliffe's shoulder. I mean, that's when the porticles started. Um, you can all source it back to the shoulder. Let's just hope next year um, he comes out big um, and forces us to select him again because we all know we're going to get burnt. But that's the joys of having Tom Rockcliffe, 140 or 60. He's going to score one of the other. So. <laughs> right now, I'm not seeing as, as many 140s as I would have liked. <laughs> no, hey, the last but... player I want to touch on before we move on to some more important topics, uh, probably someone that's been going under the radar for quite a while. He's uh, uh, got a little bit underdone with his score of 98 at the weekend from 28 disposals, six marks, seven tackles and a goal. It's Ryan Bastanak here, JB, your favourite player. <laughs> He's just been absolutely tearing it up. Look, if I was pistol in a draft league, I would be picking him up for finals as, as, as midfield cover. What do you reckon? Well, let's be honest. Bastanak, um, I mean, he was mentioned quite heavily on our posts. We did have to bring him up in the podcast thanks to a very kind donation. And since then, um, we know Bastanak listens to the podcast. So hello, hello Ryan. Um, thanks for listening, mate. Um, I mean, since then, he heard us. He heard the pump up and he thought, well, I have to, I have to pick up my game, don't I? And that's what he's done. So for those who do own um, own Bastanak, I'll, I'll get up the number in a second. Uh, you're welcome. Um, I feel like that was all us. Those who have been able to pick him up in keeper leagues and, <laughs> and win their finals on the back of him, you're welcome. Um, There's 349 teams with him in there, 0.2% JV. they're all welcome. They probably all know him. They're probably all distant relations. And I, I can confirm that he does have exactly 349 family members, but... <laughs> Um, and that's including himself. We know he's got a team out there. Um, he's whacked the, set, the captaincy on him, considering his recent form. But um, just a big you're welcome to Tom, uh, to Ryan and his family. Um, I think we mentioned him pre-round 13, where he pulled out a 122. So <laughs> what more can we say, mate? We're, we're revolutionists. Yeah. Um, if you want to pump a player up yourself, happy to do that for, for any sort of donation in the Cancer Council. Uh, someone that got pumped out this week from our teams... Patrick Dangerfield here, JB. What's your take on this whole situation? Yes, so Dangerfield. Um, I'll okay. I don't want to get into a rant here, Chizo. I think you know my sentiments on the actual suspension itself. Um, personally, um, this isn't Doctor Supercoach speaking. Everyone has their own different views. Um, in the admins group, me personally, um, I cannot understand how he's given a one-week suspension for a tackle um, where one of the arms were pinned. Um, if you look, if you look at any Dangerfield footage, that is his tackling stance. He pins the arm. It is the traditional way to do it. It's the best way to do it, the most effective. Um, he get That's how he gets all of his holding the balls um, each game that he plays. Um, it wasn't paid a free kick at the time. He was unlucky that it was Cruiser on the end of the tackle and not um, his teammate Joel Selwood or Luke Hodge because... Um, it looks like concussion has been the sole result of the of the suspension, and um, it, it's just I don't think it's great to see. Um, I mean, we saw Dustin Martin go up and flog Nick Robinson in the face um, with a with a fist, and not receive any sort of punishment, but a tackle that is actually deemed legal and fair within the the realm of play is given a one week suspension because Cruiser got concussion. Um, I don't know about you, Chizo, but I simply just do not understand it. I cannot wrap my head around it, and um, that's that's my my mini rant on the non supercoach um, factor. Um, what about you, mate? Look, the way that I saw it was there was no twisting, there was no second motion, there was no lifting, there was no intent, there was no malice in the tackle whatsoever. What happened was Matty Cruiser is three hundred feet tall. And when you're that tall, you almost reach terminal velocity when you fall face first in the ground. The, the thing is, when you've got someone hanging off you, it's very difficult to stand up. You know what I mean? It's very difficult to stay on your feet when you've got someone like Paddy Dangerfield that's literally bear-hugging you. Yes, his arms were pinned. Did he throw him into the ground? No. Look, if you want to compare it to, to one that we saw during the year, Sean Burgoynes. Sean Burgoynes literally flung him over his shoulder head first into the ground. Dangerfield didn't fall on his back. He didn't force him into the ground. Letter of the law says that he should get one week 
if you want to read it that way. It, I interpret it slightly differently. That's just my opinion. But at the end of the day, we have to figure out a way to deal with him for one week, JB. We've had a few schools of thought. This, funnily enough, the same people that wanted to trade him out a few weeks ago when he reached such a magnificent price and try and cash that in to upgrade uh, a couple of their other players are suggesting that we should be trading him out this week because it's first week of finals, JB. What do you think of that? Um, it is first week of finals. And I did say earlier, if you're holding a Heath Shaw with a bunch of trades and you're in an elimination final, there is no point holding him. I have a similar stance on Dangerfield. If you know for a fact you're going to lose your matchup, you've got Dangerfield, your, your best bench cover is, I don't know, bloody Shy Bolton or someone. <laughs> and um, your opponent has Dangerfield as well. He's got Shy Bolton too. You know that it's just going to cancel each other out. You're going to lose by 200 points. Um, maybe, maybe in that instance, I could understand if someone just tried to keep their season alive with a trade. Um, it might not hurt you that badly in the um, in the long run. Dangerfield, for all we know, might get rested in the grand final week anyway. Um, and, I mean, he only scored 108 this week and he wasn't injured. So um, it might not be that bad in the long run. There are my arguments for trading him. Um, my arguments against are you're being ridiculous. It's Dangerfield. If you if you got a double chance, if you know you're going to win, if you think you're even a, a good chance to win, if you're if you're sixty percent chance to win, your opponent's keeping Dangerfield. You have no reason to trade him, um, nor should you think about it. He could be worth eight billion dollars. Um, it's just not worth it. He's, I mean, with this rest, there's every single every single bit of potential that he comes out and just goes 140 for the rest of the season. Okay, I'll, I'll, pose, I'll relate this to the fact that it is final. Say we've got someone going for a league win. They've literally just scraped into the finals. They've finished eighth. They're coming up against a team that they think they are going to lose against. I'll pose the question. You've said earlier in the podcast, if you don't have Dustin Martin, you've got to get him in. If you don't have Sam Doherty, you've got to get him in. Let's say, for example, you've got Dangerfield and Dylan Roberton and your opponent that you're playing is going to keep Dangerfield. Is there any suggestion that maybe you could go Dangerfield to Dusty, bank that 140k and use it to go from Roberton to a Doherty? So you've got a Doherty and a Dusty versus um, an opponent that is holding Paddy Dangerfield on their bench. Obviously, at this stage of the season, you have to see who you're matching up against. Um, 99% of people, I think, are going to hold Paddy Dangerfield, but I think that there is one of those coaches out there that has the cojones to actually pull off something like this. And what's the point of having those two trades if you got knocked out in your first week of finals? Yeah, like I said, if you're going to carry two trades into um, oblivion, then there's literally no point of keeping them. Um, I will say, if for rankings-wise, uh, if you weren't worried about your league, there's no point trading him at all. Um, to answer your question, if I had Heath Shaw, um, who I knew was going to score sub-80 most weeks, um, I would have no hesitation in trading Shaw to Doherty, um, neutralizing that on your opponent, and Dangerfield down to just a POD. Um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be Dusty. You might want to back in... Any point of difference, Mitch Duncan without Dangerfield at the Cattery or um, something along those lines. Any any point of difference that might get you the edge of your opponent. Someone preferably that you'd captain, so you get the double edge on them. Um, look, it's it's something to be considered. Uh, it's a tactical move. It's something that you know full well could entirely backfire and kill you the week after. But there won't be a week after for those people who hold on to him, knowing that they're going to lose. So. Um, in a completely YOLO situation, I can 100% justify trading out Dangerfield and just hoping that he comes out with back-to-back 110s instead of back-to-back 150s afterwards. Yeah, luckily I've ended up with the double chance in a lot of my leagues, so uh, I've got the privilege of not having to trade him in. I'm just throwing that suggestion out there because we have had a few little uh, tidbits yeah, popping. It's, it's interesting to talk about... Um, and just so people know out there, you're not crazy for thinking about doing it. And it could be the league that it could be the move that wins you your whole entire league. So um, just consider everything. You got to get fancy to win those leagues. Um, they're, they're not easy to win. You could be undefeated and top, and I've seen people lose from there before. So um, you got to get fancy. This this is a fancy move. 
Yeah. Um, uh, the next player I want to touch on, we'll talk it a little bit louder, a little bit later in the Thursday evening podcast. Jared Witz, we've learned, is out for a couple of weeks here. We've got the likes of a Patrick Ryder that's 115 across his last three, 120 across his last five. He obviously is uh, an extra 60 or more thousand above uh, Jared Witz. Is there anyone else that you should be looking at? Uh, maybe a Matty Cruiser if he gets up this week, JB? Yeah, I mean, Cruiser's the, the other one. Um, if you didn't have Cruiser already, he gets up this week. Um, he's someone that I'd have the most trust in in that ruck department. Obviously, if you didn't jump on Gorn um, for whatever reason, he's still very cheap and uh, available. He looks like he's back to red-hot form, so I wouldn't have any issues getting him in. Patrick Ryder would probably be my number one option. Um, I just think he's no danger of being rested. Um, I mean, I don't think Cruiser is either, but coming off a concussion, it only takes one more um, one more head knock and maybe they put the pin in. They're not making finals. Um, I mean, you don't want to just start predicting crazy injuries to happen, but um, you can tell for sure that Ryder will be in that team. Um, he has been scoring massively in the past month, um, and he has that forward midfield swing. So um, if you want to keep that connection alive, maybe if you traded Nank earlier in the season and you want to rekindle that connection, um, I think, yeah, I think Ryder's your, your best option, um, your safest option probably. Um, and Cruiser, Gorn, um, and all the all the others. I mean, Steph Martin's still not a bad option. Um, even Ben McAvoy could be in consideration if you're feeling crazy. Yeah, that's the word I was going to use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to be feeling very, very crazy. You'd be, you'd be wanting to trade out Dangerfield in the same breath. <laughs> what, Dangerfield to Ben McAvoy? Make it happen, JB. Dangerfield down to Dustin Martin and Wits up to Ben McAvoy. There you go. You heard it there first. Well, it's not even up to, it's not even up to Ben McAvoy. I think he's cheap. Down to... Yeah, you're making cash on both shows. Probably not worth it, community. Um, all right. Well, that'll wrap us up, Chizo. Um, Thank you very much for joining me in absence of the man who now has to put jumpers on the, the upside-down way because they can't get over his head. <laughs> I don't even know his name anymore. He's not important to me. Um, I think it's something to do with Nerf, Nerf Gun. That, <laughs> We've downgraded him to Nerf Gun. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll, that'll do us for the Tuesday um, well, slash Wednesday podcast now. Um, we will be back um, with Chizo back in the hosting seat on Thursday slash Friday. Um, so make sure you check us out on the Facebook page. Chuck a comment on there, SoundCloud, iTunes, all the uh, all the usual spots. Make sure you go and have a look at sleeperkeeper.com.au for these jumpers. And definitely go and check out the rings as well. They're still happening. End of finals coming up soon. Uh, we'll start a finals happening now. So um, get on the Supercoach ring. Links will all be in on the Facebook page. And still remember to donate to the Cancer Council. If you're copying a donut for Jared Witz this week, or anyone else, Dangerfield, um, just chuck in a pledge, $10, $5, $0.02, cents, doesn't matter. Um, thank you very much for listening, community, 